verse, and we will also be finishing chapter two. So it is a, it's a, an entire prayer that Jonah gives from the belly of the whale. So for a quick refresher, um, because it has been a few weeks since we've looked at Jonah, I'd like to just kind of summarize everything up to this point that we've seen so far. So God has finally caught up with the runaway prophet. Remember, he gets on the ship and, and the Lord has come to him in judgment and he had been sound asleep. And the sailors had figured out that Jonah was their problem. Jonah is the reason why this storm had come upon them. And the sailors were told by Jonah to go ahead and get rid of him. They, they can get rid of all of this if they just take him and throw him off the boats. But the sailors then decided that they were going to try to get him to safety, right? They wanted to try to row him to safety. After realizing that that was futile, there was no way they were going to be able to get to, to land. Um, they, they did what Jonah had requested, and they took him and threw him off the boat. And uh, there he was in the water. And when he does that, the storm stops in an instant, and they begin to call out to God. They begin to make sacrifices and to praise him, and then they go uh, about their way on to Tarshish. Remember, that's the destination where they were going. And the point that I had, the point that I had hit in the last sermon when, when we were talking about Jonah was this was demonstrating God's plans for missions. Right, and we had talked about the differences between the two ideas of missions. There were the there's the centripetal idea of missions, where where everything or everyone was to, to see the work that God was doing in Jerusalem or in Israel, and that He was to be drawing people in to that nation. And there was absolutely a sense of that. But what we were seeing here was God's call for the nation of Israel for there to be centrifugal missions where there was supposed to be the message that was supposed to go out from Jerusalem, right, to the rest of the world. And um, we brought up other passages of scripture that, that went along with this. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8, they were supposed to tell among the, the living waters were to flow out of Jerusalem to the rest of the world. Uh, in in uh, Psalm uh, 96, 3 through 10, there were, there were, uh, we were supposed to be telling of the nations of the name of God, and we're supposed to be proclaiming his wondrous deeds to all of the nations surrounding Jerusalem. God was not supposed to stay in a box central in Jerusalem. That was never his intention. That was never his command. And now we're seeing that play out through this issue or this, this episode with Jonah. And finally, the one in Psalm 72 says that the name of Yahweh is to increase as long as the sun shines on all the nations. This is something that was supposed to be ongoing, and Israel had not done what they were supposed to do in that regard. But now I want to go from this big picture look at Jonah, and where we're going to be today is I, I want us to all, we're going to take the big picture, and we're going to focus into the middle of the Mediterranean, because, you know, the sailors have gone about their way. They're already headed back to Tarshish, right? They're already sacrificing to the Lord. But here, we haven't dealt with what happens with Jonah. Jonah is still in the water, right? Like, we have a guy who's literally floating in the middle of the Mediterranean, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. This prophet whose sin has found him out. So what I want to do is I'm going to read our passages here. I'm going to read our passage. And then after that, we will pray. And then we will go ahead and get into it. So starting with uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, 
I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you would cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, O God, Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, for your help today. I pray, Lord, that you would help me, that your word would go forth, that it would do all that you commanded to do, that it would achieve every purpose that you send out for it. Lord, I pray, God, that you would feed your people. I pray that you would open their ears and that you would open their hearts and their eyes to the truth of your word, Lord, and that we would be edified, that we would be walking out praising you even more than when we came in. Lord, I ask for your help this day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we see, we are here at the most famous part of the story, right? This is the part of, of the story that, that all the kids know. This is the thing that makes it popular, right? Jonah is swallowed by the fish. And then here in chapter 2, we begin this psalm. It, and that's exactly the form that it's written in. It sound, probably sounds like many of the psalms that we read through the book of Psalms. It's a, a psalm of thanksgiving where Jonah begins to describe the circumstance. He begins to... Um, uh, in, he gives the interpretation of his deliverance. It is his interpretation of his deliverance. And there are some beautiful, truthful things that we can, that we'll read in that. And we will get to it. That's going to be the main focus that we have. Uh, and some things that are missing from it also. Um, but I'll, I'll leave that to, to what's coming. But I want to focus here on verse 17 of chapter one. It says, and Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. So before we even get out of the gates here, we're going to notice that word appoint, that word appoint. And it happens three other times throughout the story of Jonah, all of them taking place in chapter four. So here, uh, it's it actually that Hebrew verb, the verb that's being used there in the Hebrew is the same. It's a different, it's the same verb, but it's a different form of the verb that we look at here in verse four, verse four, it says the Lord hurled a great storm or a great wind on the sea. This, that word for appointed is the, is the same verb, just in a different form, as that word that he uses for hurled. So we have, it's a less intense version of it. So where we have the Lord hurling the storm or the great wind on the sea, we have the Lord appointing in a less intense version of that verb. We have him appointing this great fish in order to swallow Jonah. So the three times that it's used in chapter four, it's in verses six through eight, if you look. Um, it's, it's interestingly, it's in respective to nature every single time in this book. Anytime God appoints or God hurls, it's always in the context of nature. So here he appoints the great fish in verses, uh, six through eight in chapter four, God appoints a plant, right? And he also appoints a worm in order to 
destroy the planet. He appoints a scorching east wind. And these are objects, these are objects that are being used for a specific purpose. The storm, the scorching wind, the worm, the plant, whichever you, however you want to look at it. But it's, it's the way that God is using them is different. If we notice the, when he uses that verb for the storm, he is hurling that storm and it's being used as judgment. But for the fish and the worm and the plant and the scorching east wind, he is going to be using those in his discipline and in his mercy towards Jonah. One was for judgment, the hurling. Everything else that comes after that, that God appoints, is for mercy and for discipline. We're going to see that as we go along. Um, so <clears throat> they are given, oh yeah, so they're given different forms of the same verb. One is for judgment, one's for mercy. But now in this moment, we know that Jonah is sinking. We know that Jonah is sinking below the water and we get that from chapter two. We're not going to see that here in verse 17, uh, but he is sinking both literally and emotionally <laughs> in, in, both, in both cases. So um, I have to say, if anyone was planning on getting any insight on the fish, okay? Because we know this fish, God appoints this great fish to come and swallow Jonah. You may be disappointed with this sermon because I am not gonna go into great detail uh, on the fish. Now, many people have made claims and, and speculations about the fish, right? Some say, some of the arguments go that the, the, this fish was created specifically for this purpose. It is a one of one species type of fish that, could inhabit a man for a period of three days and the man could live inside of it. Um, you know, this, this is, it's true in a sense, but it's not the fish, right? Like we don't want to focus all of our attention on, on the fish. Some people have speculated that it was a whale, right? That's very common. It's, it's usually in, in the coloring books, the fish that the kids draw is a whale. It's not even a fish at all, but, but here's the problem. Whales aren't fish right? We know this. So we can get dragged off into that whole category and we start arguing about whether the fact it was actually a fish or whether the fact it was a whale. Um, uh, it could have been a dinosaur fish. I've heard that one. Like it could have been like some type of ancient, you know, fish that hung out at the bottom of the Mediterranean and popped up for this one specific purpose. Um, look, these, these kind of conversations, these things can be fun. They can be fun to have, you know, on the side. But I believe that when we start talking about those things too much, we wind up missing the forest for a tree, right? We wind up missing, we wind up missing the entire point. And this whole entire episode is miraculous. Everything from this point until the moment where he's vomited up on the shore is, is miraculous. Yeah. And so, um, um, not just that the, that the fish swallows Jonah when he's at his final moments, but the fact that Jonah is able to live inside of a fish for three days. Like, how does that work? I don't, I don't actually know. How did God do that? He didn't have any water or food. Well, we can talk about, you know, look, God appointed a fish to swallow Jonah and God sustained Jonah in the fish for three days. It can be just that right? We don't, have to, we don't have to make God fit into our categories in order for this story to be believable. This is the God that created the Andromeda galaxy by the word of his power in an instant. We don't need to make all of these things work. And God is trying to communicate with some, trying to communi communicate something. So that's really what I want to, uh, I really want to focus on that. Okay. So Jonah, uh, Jonah, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. 
Then we move into chapter 2, and we are getting into the prayer or the psalm of Jonah, which we will get into. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to graze over where that last period is in verse 17, and the then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. There are three days and three nights that take place in between those two areas where Jonah is by himself in the middle of a beast. If we want to ask questions about things that the Bible's not talking about here, I, you can keep the fish, and you can keep how, uh, uh, what type of fish it was. You can keep um, uh, how Jonah dealt with the stomach acid and all of the other things that get thrown into this deal. I want to know what was going through his mind. Jonah was literally losing. He was at the moment of death, and now he finds himself, which is basically buried alive, right? The New Testament calls the belly of the whale, it, it, it equates it to a grave. What was Jonah thinking in this moment, right? Isn't that where the story is? What, I mean, guys, three, three days, three days straight with no food or water, that's a long time to reflect on some things. That's a long time to consider why you are where you are, Right? And that's what I want to look at. That's what his prayer is going to be flowing from. Not from the kind of fish, not from how he survived, how God sustained him, but from his recognition of the situation that he is in and why he is in it, right? And we are going to, instead of deducing these things that don't matter for the story, we're going to deduce what does matter for the story, and that is the words that he speaks in his prayer uh, at the end of this, because there were three days of him not doing much here, so that's that's the uh, that's that's the goal. So, um, despite the the terror and the confusion, if we would for just a minute just think about what was going through his head, there's there's obviously terror, right? He thinks he's going to die. He calls out to God. He's scooped up by the fish, and now there's fear. He can't move. He can't see. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. Um, but we know that in this time frame, whatever that point from the time where he got swallowed to the point where he's vomited up or gives this prayer, we know that Jonah has figured some stuff out. And we know that because of what he actually says in the prayer here. So let's look at chapter two. I want to look at verses one through two. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. Now, it's interesting because, ironically, the sea itself was the image of Sheol. That was, that was, the, uh, that was the symbol for Sheol. What Sheol means is that it's the depths, the abyss, and the sea is, in fact, just that. He's actually saying, when he says, You've, you pulled me from the depths of Sheol, he actually pulled him from the depths of Sheol. Um, it's, it's basically a way of communicating. This is just the place of the dead. He thought he was going to die. Jonah thought he was going to die, which that is important because it lends itself. Last time we talked about this, we were saying that Jonah may have wanted to be thrown off of the ship because he wanted to die. Right. But we know in this instance that that's actually not the case. He doesn't want to die yet. He will want to die. And here, those very words will come from his mouth here towards the end of the story. But here in this instant, he was terrified to die which makes sense, right? That's how all of us are. But the, he's claiming that God has, has, has heard him and now God has responded to him. Uh, notice the pattern. Notice the pattern that we get here. It says that, that, uh, that Jonah cries out 
and then God responds. Jonah cried, and God heard. We have Jonah being the one who initiates it, and then we have God responding. Then in verse 3, it says God's God's actions. Uh, okay, so verse 3, God's actions before Jonah cries out are mentioned. He's going to go back into the story. Let's look at verse 3. It says, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and your billows passed over me. So now we're going back. How did Jonah wind up in the drink? How did he wind up in the Mediterranean? Well, he's saying, God, you threw me in. But we know from the story that the sailors are actually the ones that picked him up and threw him in. He's recognizing the fact that God was sovereign over everything that had taken place up until this point. That while even though the sailors threw him in, that it was in fact God who had thrown him in. Right? So Jonah recognizes God's sovereignty. Um, in verse 2, however, in verse 2, Jonah says that he called out of his distress. So the Lord is the one who threw him in. If the Lord is the one who threw him in, that means the Lord is also the one who brought about his distress. But is the Lord? That's the question that I want to ask you. Is the Lord the one who is the cause for Jonah's distress? It's a weird way of looking at it, isn't it? You called for me out of my distress, but you're also the one that threw me in it. I want you to hold on to that question as we go forward. Who is really the cause of Jonah's distress as we move forward? So now we have Jonah sinking. Let's go to verse four. This is a compelling statement, and this is where I'm going to build the argument for the, throughout this sermon. Listen to what he says. He says, so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. So he thought that God was killing him as a result of the things that he was doing, right? He thought, okay, God, this is you. You want me dead. Here I am. I'm going to be expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. You want me dead, but nevertheless, I will. Have you ever heard that in the Bible before? It's not the first time something like that has been said from someone who serves God, the prophet, or the uh, uh, Job. Job said something very similar to this, actually. It's in uh, Job chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. Job says, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. That sounds very similar, doesn't it? What Jonah is saying here is not a bad thing. This is, a, this is a common thing. This is something that, that is said for the, for the person who knows God. But there is one massive difference between Jonah and Job. Job didn't do anything. Job, by all, for all accounts and purposes, for, all, for, all, for the sake of, of argument, Job, was he hadn't done anything against God. Satan was actually going up and challenging God, saying that there's, you know, uh, the, what about Job? There's no one righteous on the whole earth. And God says, what about Job? He says, oh, well, he won't be righteous if you let me have Adam for a little bit. Let me go in and take his family. Let me go in and take his health. Let me go in. Look at how you bless him. If I can remove these things from him, I'll have you cursing you by the end of the day. And God allowed these things to happen to Job, right? That is not the case with Jonah. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. no. We're, we're off on the wrong foot already. We're, we're starting to see that there is something missing from Jonah's prayer. And I'm not, I'm not here today to say that Jonah's prayer is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Everything that he says in this is true. And we'll, we'll get to that. But, but 
if 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 job job could not understand why god was allowing all of the things to happen to him because in his own works and his own righteousness and his own uh, his dealings with god he he got up every morning and prayed for his children for the sake of his children every single morning why would god then be allowing these things to happen to him if jonah was still deserving of the things that were happening to him how much more is jonah deserving of the things that are happening to him that's the point that i'm trying to make here and it's not to say that job wasn't deserving we know that all of us who are born in adam we are all subject to all kinds of evils on on the earth all kinds of things but remember this is actually theodicy these things are happening to jonah because jonah has done something and i don't want to lose sight of that as we go and we continue to interpret this prayer in jonah let's go to verses five and six he's going to use poetic language Uh, to illustrate just how bleak his circumstance was. And it was bleak. Let's read verses five and six. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep, deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head and I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. So uh, he goes, so here we have all of these things that are happening to him, where he finds himself, his, his circumstance is dire. And then he goes back to God for a brief moment. And that, that takes place here, uh, here at, the, at the end here. So he says, but you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. He is obviously very, very grateful that the Lord has saved his life. That though he deserved to die, though he thought he was going to die, in that moment, he cries out to God and he hears him. Now let's read through verse seven. But you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Let's go a little bit further. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. There is so much irony in these statements. In this prayer, there is so much irony. As a matter of fact, the, the, the irony is, is boiling over, really. And, and, and I want you guys to stick with me here because we're, we're going to look at this. So Jonah, notice all of the emphasizing of the eyes and the mys. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back through this. So I descended or it says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from my sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended into the roots of the mountains. Uh, the earth with its bars was around me forever. Now, he does mention that God has brought his life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple, because that's the only place that God is. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I descended into the prison. What about the boat? That, well, here, here's the question, though. That's great. These are good things, and it's true. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything bad about Jonah, but why now, though? Right? What about when the boat was sinking? What about when everybody's lives who were on the boat was threatened? What about then, Jonah? 
Why, why did you have to come to the moment of death before you called upon the God that you knew? The God whose word that you have taken his word out prior to this. Why now? What about when you were fleeing from him? When you were literally on the 60-mile journey from Gath Heifer to the port town that escapes me at this exact second. But what about then? He's overjoyed now, but it wasn't until literally the moment of death was upon him that he decided to cry out for God. And that's not something that's super uncommon, right? There's lots of people that cry out to God in the deathbed and in the foxholes and on the sinking ships, right? That's how the sailors found the Lord. They thought they were going to meet their maker. They thought they were going to, they, they thought that the end had come. And they, out of fear, they start calling out to the Lord and the Lord answered them, right? Those who regard vain idols and forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. That's what he says. He doesn't realize that there is a boat of men that has been on the waters for three days up until this point. And all of them have forsaken their vain idols. All of the, They had already been sacrificing to Yahweh for three days. They'd already been doing this. But Jonah, the prophet of God, the Israelite of the people of God, from the belly of the well says, but I'm going to do this. There are men who already are. And they're not from Israel, by the way. Those guys are up, up there actually doing that. Everything he's mentioning about himself was done by these sailors before Jonah ever even went into the mouth of the fish. He doesn't know that, right? He's been in the water. He doesn't, he's, he's been in the fish's belly. But then he utters the most truthful statement. And it's the message that not only is the, 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 the point for this entire book, but the point of the entire Bible can be summed up in this one statement that he makes. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. Jonah is missing something here. In this prayer, Jonah is missing something. It's not as if Jonah said anything that's untrue. Everything that he says is true. There's obviously, we can look in it and we can see that, okay, well, man, Jonah obviously had a measure of faith. He knew, he knew that, that God was there to cry out to. Well, he should. He, he's literally heard from the, from the word of the Lord before, like audibly. So, right? Um, there, there's a measure of faith uh, he has here, but still, he, and he, he thinks in this final moment that, that he is to pray to the Lord. All of these things are good, but something is absolutely missing. Do you want to know what's missing from this entire prayer? You won't find it. His sin. There is no mention in the entire psalm of thanksgiving. He never, not one time, mentions his sin. Not once. He doesn't even mention it. Uh, he mentions what he thought the consequences of it were. Right? He says in verse 4, So I have said that I have been expelled from your sight. But he never actually mentions anything specific about his sin. Now you could be saying to me uh, up here, Eric, well, that's, that's not fair, right? Because there are, he was in the fish for three days, right? We don't know what he said in that, in that time. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't tell us what he thought and what he said uh, this entire time in, in the fish. And you're right. You're, you'd be right in that. We don't know what he said uh, any more than we know what kind of fish swallowed him, right? We, we don't actually know that. But what we do know, what we do know is that in, in chapter 4, 
it is evident that Jonah still doesn't get it. Jonah still does not get the fact that salvation is from the Lord, even into chapter 4. And this is even after Nineveh repents. He still doesn't get it. Guys, this is not the only brush with death that Jonah has in this book. It's not. This is the first lesson of a few that God is teaching Jonah as, as time goes on. So this prayer, although it is well-meaning and although that it is, and it is completely true, Jonah still doesn't get it. And, you know, and that, that could be like, man, like you're going really hard after Jonah today, you know, like you're like laying it on him pretty hard. I mean, isn't this how any one of us would be in that circumstance, right? Like how many of you, and I know that there's a, there's a few of, of, of us in here that, it took literally going to the point of death where we cried out for God. Even though we claimed we knew God, right? I, this is not meant to be a Jonah bashing thing or going in and critiquing his word. I'm not, that's not that, or the, the, the prayer that he gave to God. That's not, that's not the point. But the point is that, is Jonah clumsy? Yes. Is Jonah a rebellious prophet? Yes. He obviously belongs to God. If you see the way that God has treated him from this moment all the way through the end of the book, it is not about Jonah. It is about a gracious and compassionate God for reasons that are unknown to me strives with this man in the midst of his rebellion. Jonah, with all the eyes and the mice, I was almost dead and then I looked one last time to your holy temple. This story is not about Jonah. Jonah's not the hero of the story. I know I said that before. The story is not about the temple of God. The story is not about the Levites. The story is not about decisions or non-decisions. The story is not about me, and it's not about you. This story is about a gracious and compassionate God who, in his mercy, like a father going to his knee for a toddler, in spite of our rebellions, in spite of our spitting in his face, goes to his knee and does not hurl. He appoints lessons and teachings and he wounds us and he puts us in, he buries us alive for a few days. But he is always graciously and compassionately leading us to the purposes that he has for us to serve him. There is no place in this for the eyes and the mice. Right? There is no I in God. I like that better than I in team. There's no I in God. We did nothing. God saved Jonah because he was merciful to Jonah. Because he had a purpose for Jonah. And that's exactly what he's done with everybody sitting in this room. Right? That's the point to this whole thing. How did God show this kindness to us? You see, that three days when Jonah was in the whale, that had to have been a kind of hell that I don't think, you, you know, like one of the greatest phobias on the planet. And it's funny, uh, I did a little study with this because I've, I'm interested in dumb things like this. But you know that there is a fear of being buried alive that, is, that has been around for a long, long, long time. They find 
evidence in like in the 1800s of people building trap doors in coffins. So just in case someone's buried alive, they have a way of squirming their way out. I don't know how that works, but there, there, there is, he experienced a kind of hell in the well in those three days. And you know what? It was of his own making. He was in that situation and it was of his own making and he deserved to be there. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think and everybody can identify with this. Have you ever been in so much trouble, right? Or ever been in jail or ever been wherever and you are sitting there behind the bars and it is your actions. This could have been preventable. Or maybe it's, one of the kids who is sitting in their room on the bed with nothing, with no, no technology, you're sitting on the bed when we, you should have been eating ice cream out in the kitchen with everybody else, but you couldn't get your stuff figured out. So you had to get sent into the room. Now everybody's eating ice cream while you're in the room, right? We can identify with this. Every one of us in here can identify with this. And you're there for your own actions. But you want to know, we're talking about, this story is not about us. We're talking about the compassionate and gracious God. Do you know how he's shown compassion? How he's shown his greatest love? We see it through Jonah here. But the way that he did it was, is he sent a better Jonah to go into the belly of the whale or to go into the grave. And unlike Jonah or you or I, the better Jonah did not deserve to be in the grave. Only the better Jonah was not vomited out to go and serve God's purpose. He took up his life himself and he conquered the grave for all of us because we deserve to be in that grave of our own making. This story is about God and his son and our prayers of thanksgiving. Guys, like I, when we read through this prayer, these types of things, when we read through the Psalms, we, it's almost like we're reading our own hearts, right? Like this is the songbook of the saints. When we see David crying out to the Lord out of thankfulness, we can identify with that. When we see in Psalm 51, David crying out to the Lord in repentance for the sin that he has committed over in, in the sight of God and that he has suffered for, we can identify with that kind of thing. When we see Psalms of Thanksgiving like this, it should make our heart sing. But understanding that we can only sing these Psalms of Thanksgiving and these Psalms of praises because of the compassion, the great compassion of God that he has exhibited towards us in Christ. That is the only reason why we have a reason to sing at all, a reason to repent at all is because God has acted. And had he left us to our own devices, we, like Jonah, would be dead. He would be dead in the middle of the Mediterranean. I can't speak for you where you would be dead at, but I know where I would be dead at. It would be by myself, in a home, and nobody would even know it. Because that's the kind of life I lived before Christ came in, before God appointed the great fish to swallow me. And knocked some sense into my head. And I know that it's the same for a lot of you guys. I, that, that's, that's really, that's really what, what, what this, this, this sermon is about. It's, it may have sounded like I went too hard on Jonah, right? Or that I, I that I misrepresented him in any kind of way. I, I didn't, but the most eye-opening part of this entire book 
is that I could replace the name of Jonah with the name of Eric at any given point, and it is me to a T. And I bet it's the same for you. The reason why we're looking at, at this in, in this in this critical light is because when we're talking about failures, we got them. But this isn't about. I want you listen to this. Why would God Himself keep appointing lessons for you? Have you ever thought about that? I know me and Carolyn have talked about it. Why does He stay with me? Why does he continue getting on on his knee as a father does with his toddler? Why does he keep striving with me? Why, after I fail him in thought and in deed, does he continue to pull me along? Does he continue to pick us up and move with us further and further down the road? Even though I am this and I am this and I am this, there's only one answer to that question. Because he is a gracious and compassionate God And he does not love you, Christian, because of your ability to do the right thing and think the right thing and say the right thing or because you are the tallest and the fastest and the strongest and the smartest and the best. No, he loves you because he has set his love upon you. I love you because I love you. No other reason. And for his name's sake, He is going to carry you to the end. He imputes the righteousness of his own son onto you. He made his son pay the price for you in your place. And he is going to bring you from point A to point B. And he does it with Jonah. You know what's cool about all of this is though? Is that Jonah serves his purpose. Jonah does what God sets out for him to do. He still doesn't get it. And God still teaches him lessons all the way into the sunset, literally. Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 6 says that I believe that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. If you are in God, I don't care what kind of failures we're talking about here. God has a purpose for you, whether it's preaching repentance to the pagan city of Nineveh, whether it is, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. God will carry out his purposes and he will make them a reality for you. This is not a story about you or me. It belongs to God. It's why when people say, I say I got saved because I prayed. You did not get saved because you prayed. I promise you that. You got saved as a result of your prayer because God had grace on you. And he put it in you to pray for the thing that he was always going to answer. God is the one who is the holder of salvation. All we do is receive it. We come as we are. We talked about that a little bit earlier today. We come as we are, which is what? A broken, failed, rebellious Jonah. We cry out to the Lord and he has mercy on us. That is the story. God is the hero, not us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you, God, for your compassion and your grace. Lord, that you are not a God who is far off, but you are one who 
who has his eyes open, the one who knows his sheep, the one in, in, in all of the means, Lord, that you have brought about, that you would call us to yourselves, whether it was somebody saved at eight years old or whether it was somebody saved from a rehab or from a prison, Lord, that you have heard the cries of your people, that you have used the gospel, that you have used the, the, the sacrificial death of your son, that you, would, that you would forgive the sins of rebels. Lord, we thank you for bringing us close to yourself. God, that you're forgiving life to those who have no life. Lord, I pray for, for the, 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 the folks in this church. I pray for myself. pray for the people around the world that know you, God, that we would not focus so much on the eyes and the mys and the things that we did, Lord, but to understand that we have brought nothing to the table and that if we are saved today, it is because of you and your glory and your grace and for his son and his work. And the fact that we remain saved today is because we have a savior who is seated at the right hand, who makes propitiation for our sin, who intercedes for us, Lord. Let us not forget who we are in you, Lord. And let that be the foundation of all of our praise and all of our worship, because you are worthy of all of it, God. You are the reason for our praise and our worship. And we love you and we thank you, God. And we lift our voices up to you this day in Christ's name. Amen.